Welcome to the Product-Led Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Bush, author of the best-selling book on product-led growth, which you can get for free at productledbook.com. And just a small thank you for being such a cool listener. So today we're doing a bit of a reverse interview where Miriam, who is the CEO of softer.com, which is an awesome product, by the way, it's like Lego blocks for building apps. She interviewed me on product-led growth. And so I wanted to re-feature this interview because we talked a lot about what are some of those macro trends. When you look at product-led growth, you look at no-code tools, you look at all these other, even AI and all these things that are up and coming macro trends, what do they all have in common? And this is really at the crux too of why is product-led growth of rising importance? So you're gonna really learn like what the heck is the overlap here between all these different categories. What is kind of that common thread and pattern? And so we discussed this near the kind of end of the interview, but I really wanted to kind of refeature this because it is a very important kind of topic to put things into context and sometimes zoom out from just everything's PLG to like, what is the commonality here? And how can we adapt and also capitalize or was, what are the, some of the opportunities around this? So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode, but let's get back to it and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Hey, Wes. And uh, so excited to have you join me today. And especially excited because actually not that recently I was a guest in your podcast. So really honored to turn the seats around. So keep tight. This time I'm going to ask the hard questions. <laughs> Wes is the founder of Product Led. He wrote a book about product led growth, hosted a summit, is running courses and also has a podcast about product-led growth, as you could imagine, which I was lucky enough to be a guest on. Also, a um, short kind of background, correct me if I'm wrong, you started a lead demand generation at Videard and launched the product and quickly got over to 100,000 users almost overnight. And interestingly enough, also I myself personally learned a ton from your content and from all of the podcasts before I actually started software. So that really helped me along the journey of building software. So really excited to have you on board. If you could start with an intro and please help unpack the journey from early days to today and what led you believe that actually product-led is the future way of software building and why are you doing what you're doing? Totally. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I mean, is it guess in between that story, maybe from like Vidyard to now as well, like why I'm actually doing this, why I'm so passionate about product that growth, a big part of it is actually the way we want to buy is changing. And it's like, it used to be enough where it's like, okay, like there's limited let's say even like software options, like, okay, there's like a few to solve your specific problem. Now it's actually a lot easier to create software and there's so many options. And so the leverage has changed in the way we buy. And so consumers used to be able to be like, okay, there's a few options. I guess I'll jump through your hoops and go through your sales process mm -hmm. to figure out if this can help me. Now it's actually really changed where it's like, okay, there's tons of options and the businesses really have to kind of cater to the user and whether that's, you know, a free option or something like that, where people can actually try before they buy and see what it's all like before making that purchase. That's really kind of what's brought me to, to this kind of realization of like product-led growth is really the future way of how people are going to really purchase. And I can totally get behind it because that's the way I buy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so right. I haven't seen first. anyone, I think in our, and even in the future generation, in the next generation buying without really trying the product first. Right. I think that's kind of 
changing completely. Totally. And I, I think it's like, at its core, the fundamentals haven't changed. It's like people still just want to have like trust a solution that will actually solve their problem. And in the past, it was like, we would just simply talk about it. And now it's like, no, I actually want to see it. And I think it's just getting like, okay, anyone can whip up a value proposition, but not everyone can deliver on it. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely see that as kind of the, the future of where companies really do have to um, deliver on that. Not just like, okay, yeah, we can deliver on it, but how quick mm-hmm. <laughs> can you help me get successful? And can you share also a bit about your background and where you started originally? I think your background came from more traditional marketing and then you really got it. You learned that with your experiments, with your journey as well, that this is actually really, really changing. Yeah. So you're absolutely got it. It started in demand generation. I was doing what many would consider very like the traditional B2B software playbook for growing a business. At that time, investors were selling out a lot of money to like basically be like, we got this proven playbook, let's use it. And for demand generation, it looked like, okay, let's purchase leads. Let's get more people like to download our white papers and our guides. You as a consumer viewer to download it, it's like, oh, you see the latest report on, let's say, video marketing strategy, you download it. And it's like, okay, on our back ends, we're just monitoring like, okay, what's your company name? (laughs) How many employees do you have? And also like, how relevant is this to the product? And bing, 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 bing. Okay, marketing qualified lead, you hit some magical number for some people. And then sales is going to reach out to you. So that was the traditional playbook. And then whenever we launched the freemium model that actually really did take off, that was the moment where it was like, wait, the way we have been getting people to go through the sales process has been all kind of backwards. It's really, I call it like the four fundamentals of business where it's like, it started with acquisition. You still got to do that. And then we were just jumping to monetization really quick. Mm -hmm. And then it was engagement about like, how do we actually help these people see the value and then expansion. So um, what we actually changed with that freemium product, it was like, yeah, we're still acquiring people, but like, no, we we nailed the engagement part right away. And what actually happened is we started to notice, oh, actually, when we engage people, when they see that value very quickly, yeah. um, they're mm-hmm. like 10 times more likely to actually monetize and pull out their credit card and be like, yeah, I get it. I love it. That's really what I call like the big shift that's happening whenever you hear like product-led growth. Like, what is it? It's like, it's really just this whole engagement piece is just becoming that much more important for companies. And it does change the culture and the way you do business too, because you really do have to prioritize some of those things. Yeah, I love the way you describe it. And it totally makes sense, especially the newer generation companies, the founders who are listening and everyone in companies where they don't have product-led. So how do you actually build product-led motion or processes at early stage companies? So it really depends like what stage are you at if you have like, let's say a free product or anything else like that. But where I always recommend companies to usually think about this first is, do you have a product-led strategy? And usually the answer is like, no, even if you're a product-led company, but you have to answer these uh, five questions before I get into it, like why you would want to even have this in the first Mm -hmm. place is Mm -hmm. all about the dynamic shift. So in a lot of like traditional strategies for companies, people will talk about our business, like we want to become the market leader in our space. And it's like, okay, that's great. And it's like fine as a direction and focus area, but like, what's actually going to get you there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's ask that question. So, okay, if you want to be the market leader in your space, 
chances are, especially if you're a product-led business, your users need to be extremely successful in order to get to that market leadership status that we want. So it's more like you hear this again and again in a bunch of different uh, ways. There's like, there's the results focused people and there's like the process focused people. This is more of the process of how you get there. And so a uh, product strategy is all about how do you help your users win? And so the first question is really asking yourself, what game are you playing as a business? Are you playing the game of productivity? Are you playing the game of just getting people's attention? Is it transaction? Getting crystal clear on like, what does that look like for your business? And then the second question is really like, what is winning? for that specific user? What is the prize? Maybe for software, it's like the prize is I have this fully functional uh, web application very quickly and I am, I don't know, let's say hitting multiple seven figures or something like that for some of these creators. That would be like absolutely crushing it for some of these people. So maybe that's it. That's winning. Okay, so next up, who is the ideal hero in this story? So getting clear on that person, not everyone can do it. Not everyone has the same motivation. Not everyone has mm -hmm. the same really, I guess, frustration around their current solution uh, right. enough to drive them in this new way. And not everyone has, lastly, the ability to do it. And part of that ability we can make easier through our product. But there's still going to be some people where it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm not too technical. I can't really figure out some of these things. Yet someone who's a developer who goes to no-code tools like, oh my goodness, this saved me so much time. So that's the third part is identifying your ideal hero. And then the next part is like, how do you help these users win? And this is really your three uniques as a business. It's like, what is your unique combination of how you help users? Maybe if you're up against like big enterprises, it's like something as simple as like, oh, we have like monthly pricing. <laughs> There's no big long contracts. That could be a meaningful enough like differentiator uh, for some right. companies in the early days. Mm -hmm. Others, for a lot of product companies, it's like, it's a very fast time to value. It's uh, maybe very fast first time to value. That's, you know, the first big thing. So once you define like how you help users win, the last part is like, what are the capabilities does your team need to get there? Mm -hmm. And so that might be if, you know, you have a quick time to value. It's like, oh, our team doesn't actually know onboarding. Our team doesn't actually measure you know, user success. Our team doesn't actually do this yet. That's fine. You've got to develop capabilities as you grow your business, but that'll at least give you a way to kind of self-select. Like, what are those two or three things we need to work on this quarter or this year to really develop them so that we can truly deliver on helping our users win? And I love you putting so much focus on the users and customers because in the end, even if you are winning on sales-led company, et cetera, there's going to be a point where you will be disrupted by these product-led growth companies, right? Because in the end, what you care about is the user. And in order for your company to exist, it, the customer has to be there, right? The customer has to use your product and be happy with the product, else it's temporary. So I'm also curious, so you are teaching product-led growth courses and helping so many companies and operators learn how to apply and how to move towards more product-led growth you know, motion. What's the biggest challenge you notice in convincing and really incentivizing more traditional sales-driven companies to move to the PLG motion? The biggest one, it actually has nothing to do with PLG. <laughs> 
and everything they do with change management. Okay. (laughs) I wish I was like, oh, it's all about product growth. Like we done our best to like simplify like what it is, how to Mm -hmm. actually apply it Mm -hmm. to your business. But the biggest challenge is really just uh, one, kind of getting everyone on the same page around what is this, mm-hmm. really finding like who are maybe some of those resistors as far as like this new way of doing business. How do you actually align them and get them really moving in the same direction? And so that's really why we focus a ton now on like, let's do the product that strategy together as a team and get everyone bought in from day one so they can contribute to this vision of what does it mean to actually have a product that strategy and work together on this. So that is like, by and large, the hardest part we find is just getting maybe that initial person who's going to be like, okay, yeah, I see this like future of us being product-led to then enroll uh, the rest of our go-to-market team. Yeah, interesting. It's same as changing mindset is the most difficult thing, right? You can change your organization, products and everything, but the mindset is is the most difficult probably. What are some examples of SaaS companies where you believe they have done a product-led growth from early days really successfully? There's so many I could paint a picture of. Like Mm -hmm. there's the classic like Slacks, (laughs) Zooms of the day where you're like, wow, like how did they do it? Do you think they did the work with this going on with this motion from early days or did they adjust as they went on? Yeah, so a lot of those ones they did start, the ones I at least just referenced did start actually product-led from Mm -hmm. like the day one. And then it was like later on where they started to add like, you know, more of a sales touch for bigger enterprises. So there is a a ton of examples. I've actually seen other ones too, where it's like they start product-led and then they have more success in the enterprise to get acquired by a PE firm. And then then it's like downhill product-led from there. (laughs) It's just going up market back to that uh, same old proven sales playbook. So yeah, I've seen that side. There's also, I mean, a great example is like, HubSpot, I think, has done a fantastic job too of like where it launched a Chrome extension. That was it. And then it's like, okay, let's integrate this to the rest of the product. And then let's just make the free CRM. And they have built this like fantastic land and expand motion where it starts very small. And then it's like, well, actually, you could be paying them tens of thousands of dollars every single month pretty quickly when you start growing as a business. So I always love those examples. And I think that is actually at the core of like, product-led motion. It's like, okay, the goal is like, I want you to get you as a customer, even on like a very small plan. (laughs) And my goal is like, I want to grow with you. Um, Mm -hmm. And how do I align my interests? And so out of all of my kind of like favorites, product examples, even like Stripe as an example, it's like they found a way to align their business model with their user success. And so like Stripe is only making a certain amount of money if you make a certain amount of money. So like they're more incentivized to to help you in that regard. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those other ways that you could align those interests? And I think it goes back to like your user success will eventually become your success. And so when you really believe that part of that change of like mindset there and then align your interests with theirs, it creates some really powerful synergy. Totally agree. And when you look through the, in the end, product-led growth is all about product, right? Building the product in a way that helps you acquire users, retain users, activate and retain users, and also monetize them. So if you look across the entire journey of user journey from the beginning till they buy your product and then advocate, what are some of the core parts where you would focus your efforts as a team to really nail that part down so that you make sure that your users stay actually activate, start using and get the value of the product and don't retain 
long term? This is a boring response for the first part, but it always comes down to like, do you actually understand who your ideal user is? Because when you are free, you're going to attract a lot of different people. And so you're like, oh, actually, <laughs> those people aren't successful. And like, you will always have that. And some people just label them as like tire kickers. And they're like, oh, we don't want to be product led because we will get tire kickers. And it's like, it's just a part of this. <laughs> and you will get some of those people who are outside of your ICP or ideal user, however you want to call it. That's okay. But when you're clear on like, okay, uh, you look at this subset of users and you're like, okay, they have some commonalities. They're usually doing some of the same goals. Maybe in your case, it's like, they're the people who are creating marketplaces with software. They have like some spunk to them. They have this big vision of a marketplace <laughs> that they can build. So one, they're like highly motivated. Okay, great. And actually, maybe some of these people, they have a little bit of like, tech chops right now, they've done something before, maybe they were a web developer before, or something like that in a past life. So they, they understand some basics of how these things work, but not very technical, they just have some chops. And then the other part is like, okay, this is really, they're frustrated with trying to do this on their own. Maybe they have previously paid a developer to do this. They're like, oh my goodness, that was uh, like the waste of money. <laughs> so like you attract this ideal user and then you start seeing, okay, how can we better empower them? And then it starts with the next question is like, what is their goals? How could we really get crystal clear on that from maybe the beginning of that onboarding journey? We'll ask them, how about, <laughs> what do you want to build? All right, great. It's a marketplace. How do we make that easier for them? So maybe it's templates. Okay, great. Like here's like 10, 20, 30 templates, which you could go through. Here's our top three. Start there. And that way they're not even starting from scratch. They're starting with something great. They have to make some tweaks and then they can get the value very quickly and really see value in a fraction of the time. And then, yeah, the monetization section is what would make this easier for them to get started. So that's really kind of the process of how it start with it is always comes back to the very basics of like, who are you serving? Mm -hmm. How can you serve them better? How can you serve them faster? <laughs> and how can you enable them to really see that success fast? Yeah, and that's totally what's happening with a lot of the horizontal platforms. I can confirm that happening, same with software. But what's really interesting is I'd love to understand from, based on your experience, how you would actually, for all of the horizontal platforms, this is a big challenge. How do you even segment those users? Of course, there is the onboarding questions you can ask, but that's going to give you just very little information. So how would you successfully really segment them, especially with a type of product where it's really almost, you can do anything. It gives you the tools for you to build, like referring to those as customer build uh, products like CIPR, Airtable, Notion are really good examples. And how do you then help them be successful? Because in the first place, you have to have, as you said, you have to understand who those are to be able to personalize the experience or even make them successful long-term in the next stages. You mentioned like, okay, like asking questions at the beginning too. Like, yeah, that is one way, but it might not be the be all end all. I would actually say that if you're asking the right questions, you can get like, 80% of the way there on clarity of like, okay, this is what they care about. This is the right next thing. Mm -hmm. And initially it might just be like, okay, great, thanks. Here's the product. 
<laughs> as it is, and it's not specific. Um, I remember when I was signing up for Notion way back, they asked me actually a lot of questions. And I was initially like, oh, this is like too much. And I probably wouldn't go that far because Notion is also a horizontal platform where right. you could do whatever. And then you go into it. I picked like I was interested in like product and like something else. And I was like, oh, cool. Dropping into like the product section of Notion and like there was OKRs and all this other fun stuff. I was like, oh, cool. This is like good read. <laughs> Let me go through it. And as I'm going through it, I'm learning Notion. I was like, oh, great. So there is that ability when you like, I ask some of those questions, you can get closer to it. And at the very mm-hmm. beginning, you're not going to know like, okay, what should we do? And that's okay. You'll just like ask some of those questions and realize like actually one of these uh, users, maybe it's for you, like they identify as a developer and they identify as someone like who their goal is for the marketplace. And maybe they want to do something like build a community with it or something like that. So it's like, okay, you realize like those three things, there's just three questions, but you're realizing like, actually those people are very sticky and they care a lot about what they're building. And so then you just start focusing on those specific users and would say, okay, let's run a quick test. Well, let's give them, mm-hmm. you know, three of our best templates. Let's spend a week or two, like building out some of these templates, an initial part and see if that actually helps them. And, oh, okay. Wow. It, maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. Okay. That's fine. Uh, it wasn't like a huge wasted amount of effort, but then over time, you're, what you're trying to do is like, okay, we found one. Maybe there's another one here that we could really approach. And one of the the things I was chatting with uh, G, who runs Lemlist, and he's a great guy. He's like big on like community led growth mm-hmm. and product led growth combines. And one of the interesting things he mentioned on our product led podcast was the goal of a lot of like horizontal platform companies too is you want to create a community where a lot of them can actually create a living off of your platform. So in a way, it's like, oh, there's like a template marketplace. There's, you know, you can enable them. Maybe Mm -hmm. they just want to share this for like the community. But then what you're doing on the product end is like, well, actually, would you like to start with one of our community templates? And this is exactly for your specific uh, use case that you're looking for. So that's one thing or like an idea But I think for even what you're doing as well, use cases are going to be really, really important. Like, okay, what are the top use cases and how could we better enable them for each of them? Yeah, totally agree. Uh, Use cases, templates, also personalized, really suggesting them, helping them essentially in the product itself to figure out things easier, right? And what's for them Mm -hmm. and for them to understand well, actually, I can build with this. So that brings me to uh, more of the community side of things where how for these types of products specifically, what role community and education is playing, you believe, in the success of the product and growing the product? It's going to be different for every single company that fits like a very like vertical kind of like, you know, targeting like one, let's say like dentist practitioner. There might actually be less kind of community potential engagement, but at the same time, it's like, well, how could we better help them? There's going to be like one subsection of, you know, all they all have something in common, which is amazing. (laughs) Okay. They're all running like similar kinds of businesses. And so if we can like connect them on some level, that's really what it's going to be about and how we can help them. So I kind of look at community as for product like companies is it is absolutely the best, cheapest market research 
out there. And what I, I, we kind of walk people through in our program too, and it relates to what you can give away for free and how you can embed community into what you do as a product-led business is uh, we always monitor like what questions are people asking and what questions like keep coming up. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's really important because some of those are, we'll kind of identify them as like, oh, that's like a beginner problem. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So like if you're asking that kind of question, like uh, for instance, for <laughs> starting a business, like how do you incorporate? Okay, great. Like you're a beginner. You will just know by the question sometimes, okay, we should write an article about this. Maybe we should mm-hmm. connect someone about this. Maybe this should be a meetup. Maybe there should be a workshop on how to do this. And so you can really get crystal clear on like, oh, actually like this stuff, uh, we should give away for free. We should connect people around. And then the more advanced stuff is like, well, actually, maybe there is no easy way to do that. And that should just be a part of our product. And so I think it gives really, really interesting insights. And especially when you start seeing people are like hunkering like three or four tools to like get to this goal. You're like, what are you trying to do, buddy? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then this just means that if you wrap up, then you have to pay really close attention to your customers, really understand their problems, right? Be close to them, talk to them and really understand where they points of frustrations are where they cannot use the product and either turn that into a product improvement or a content education piece or a community support success, uh, whatever. Yeah. In some ways to really turn that into and offer some kind of solution as a result. Yeah. And I think like for a lot of people who are like listening to like, oh, product that grows, like everything we need to like hammer is like the solution is with product. Uh, I think that's so off (laughs) because it's like, okay, even with like software as example, like, okay, you make like a marketplace application or something like that. So like, that's one piece of building a business. It's like, okay, now you got to promote this, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You need to like figure out like how to engage your users, give them a great experience, connect them with other people or like just find the right listings or something like that. Okay, then you got to solve for, okay, how do you like monetize? How do you package this? How do you grow the number of people who are on that monthly recurring subscription or Mm -hmm. something like that? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's never just like the product piece. There's also the education gap of like, what would someone need to know in order to be really, really successful? And that's actually where a lot of the best products have if you like back in the day when I was learning Photoshop, I was like, wow, there's like tons of training here because Photoshop is complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now there's Canva. Exactly. I mean, that kind of eliminates that part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for early stage tools, there's always going to be a ton of education. Yeah, exactly. And that's just so natural because in order for you to be successful, your users or customers have to be successful, right? What also we do with community and customer support success is really just making sure that our customers are successful in the end. We are seeing more and more companies like Airtable, Zapier, Notion, and software is hopefully part of that list, becoming part of that list in the future. But what is, do you think, fundamentally the difference between just a very traditional product-led growth companies and more customer-built type companies, which are also typically community-driven as well. I think the great thing about this is just the barrier to entry is is getting that much lower. And so that's always like what I get the most excited about. It's like, oh, okay, it's getting easier for people to create businesses. Like I know even for like our current tech stack, I'm like, man, like, okay, we have to employ... (laughs) (laughs) several people to like muster together some of these things for like a core based program. I'm not even talking about 
price and the expenses, right? (laughs) Totally. And so it's like every time you can lower that barrier for someone, it's just going to be that much easier. There's just going to be that much more amazing, like kind of creators that are able to do some really cool things. And they don't just have to be like super lucky or in a, a niche that is very profitable or something like that too. So they can really solve some other problems that don't just revolve around how do you make more money? (laughs) How do you see evolving, especially within the organizational context where there is developers typically building tools, whether for clients, customers, or for other team members, other departments, how do you see the tools evolving for knowledge workers, say marketing, sales, finance people? Do you see a shift in the way they choose and use tools within the organization? I think that's definitely like why a lot of times the product-led motion is like, is coming up again and again is because it's like, oh, actually I've been using this tool and maybe like my previous company, I loved it. It was easy to use. I'm just going to use this mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, hit my goals. And then maybe it kind of bumps up to the manager level. And then they're like, oh, actually this is great. Like you're getting some great results and like, let's test this out with our team first and see if this works. And you do it, it's like, oh, okay, let's upgrade. This is amazing. We want the team plan, keep this data secure or something like that, whatever that CTA is. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that totally is a, a change in like the buying behavior. It's no longer like, who's the CIO in your department and let's get them on a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The bottoms up approach and the products entering into the hands of customers and the users first, and then really uh, companies buying it. How do you think will the new generation kids learn software? We are right now at the point where no-code is still very early and a lot of the people first don't know about it in general, don't know they can use these types of tools. Mm -hmm. And also it does require some mindset shift within the organization, especially for people who have been using more traditional SaaS kind of tools, vertical solutions. But I think with the newer generation that with the technology and learning technology, using technology from day one, from, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> from age, age one, <laughs> potentially, how do you think that generation of kids will learn and use software and will they also build their own software? I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you are just going to gravitate towards whatever is easiest. And there is a lot of things where it's like, I remember when I was learning like how to make a website, I was like HTML, CSS. I, like, I hate this. <laughs> For me and the details, they're not the biggest thing. So uh, it never was easy. And then if there is an option, which has a quicker time to value, which is like, this is the parallel, like product-led no-code is like, it's just a faster way to do mm-hmm. something take out like no code. No, there's like, (laughs) regardless if it's code or no code, how can you do this faster? It's never like, I'll give an analogy here. So like, do you want the banana or do you want like, let's say if like there's a diet of like just eating bananas and like you want to get a six pack or something, whatever that like fitness goal is. It's like, people don't really want the banana. (laughs) They want whatever the goal is. And it's always been that way. And so uh, whether it's a kid or it's an adult, it's not really going to matter. It's just going to be like, what will actually help me get there faster? And if anything has proven to be true in the last decade and what I see happening even more in the future is attention spans are going down persistence is <laughs> going down. People just want the result faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I think whether it's, you know, even labeled as no code or not, it's like, no, this is going to help me get there faster. Yeah. I love you not putting the focus on no code because no code in the end, to me as well, it's just the next phase of standard software building, right? It's just next totally. level of abstraction in software building process. And it really totally just abstracts away and 
removes the barrier for more people to enter and build software. So we spoke about the last decade. What do you think in the next 10 years, product and growth in general, direction-wise, what's going to look like in the next 10 years? So what I'm excited about is like, it will just be the norm. And I think one, like probably in the next five years, it's going to be like, okay, if you're going to actually successfully compete, this is going to be the way you're going to do it, especially in the software Mm -hmm. space. But then what I'm hoping to see in the next 10 years is it's not just like software. And we've already seen this in like different industries as well, where it's like, okay, yeah, this is like, you know, I go to Costco, there's samples for food. I'm like, great. There's cologne, perfume. Like there's like a lot of other industries where they've been letting you try it before you buy it. But I'm just excited for all the other areas where I was like, oh, I didn't know you could make that possible. That's pretty cool. (laughs) And it's just like, it's always been a way we want to purchase and like de-risk these things. Mm -hmm. So even with like that no code revolution too, as far as like all these other maybe marketplaces or different areas of like tech or different things where it's like, oh, I can actually experience the value of a lot of these things. And I think that'll just be a new way of like, this is the norm for buying behavior. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for the insightful conversation and for sharing your wisdom. I learned a lot. (laughs) And where can people find you on the internet and join the movement, the product-led movement that you also are driving? So if anyone's interested in product-led growth, uh, you can go over to productled.com and we have a free book for you on product-led growth, (laughs) as well as a free community. If you're interested in that, it's all there. And yeah, of course, as well, if you want to dig deeper. Amazing. Thank you, Vest. Thank you for joining. Great chat. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, We will definitely create more content just like this episode. And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.